The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Tēnā koutou katoa, this is Toby Manhire with a bonus extra pop-up episode of Gone By Lunchtime. I'll be back in a few days with Annabelle Lee Mayfer, Ben Thomas and your regular installation of piping hot takes, stone cold truths and hyperextended metaphors. But today, just over a fortnight out from the Australian election, we thought we'd take a quick virtual trip across the Tasman Sea to hear the campaign is shaping up. If you're a member already, thank you. If you're member curious, please click through on the spin-off and support us to keep making independent, homegrown, paywall-free journalism. It's May the 4th, 2022, and a moment ago I called up real-life Australian Ben Mackay. He's the Crocodile Dundee, the Don Bradman, the Kath and the Kim of the Press Gallery in Wellington, from where he reports for the Australian Associated Press. But right now, he is in his home of Tasmania, uh, holidaying somewhere up the coast. We talked about the state of the race, the ScoMo versus Elbow contest, the peculiarities of the electoral system. We talked a bit about the Teal Wave, this new group of Teal independents uh, trying to get the green-blue vote and a bit about the New Zealand versus Australia political and media culture. Enjoy. Kia ora Ben, how are you? How is paradise? How is the mighty state of Tasmania? Yes, it's great. I have um, I've traversed up the coast um, up to a place called Freysenay. It's a national park. Yes. Staying at a lodge, we're going to go for a walk and hunt some, well not hunt some, but try and find some wombats later. Wow. That's real. Yeah. That sounds almost made up. In between the, the research or the research I've done for this podcast. And thanks for sending me over here for, for this. It <laughs> you know, helped me with, with the preparation. Well, we really wanted to find out what the mood was on the ground among the wombat community. Is there, elect- <laughs> is there election fever among the wombats or the other good people of Tasmania? Mm, I'll, have to, I'll, have to, uh, I'll have to take the fifth on that. I, I haven't caught up with any wombats yet. What about, we'll do another podcast. What about Tasmanians more generally, just the, the human variety? Yes. I mean, there's also a local election down here at the same time in uh-huh. Australia's convoluted sort of government system. Um, but, 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 I mean, Tasmania gets a lot of love this time of year because it has two, potentially three swing seats of the five. Mm. So there is election fever in Tasmania. Scott Morrison's been here this week, and it was the site of um, Albo's gas. his, I can't name the unemployment rate, can't name the cash rate gas, uh-huh. which one you might remember. Yes. So Tasmania's on the map, baby. It's big. So Anthony Albanese, Elbow, versus Scott Morrison, ScoMo. Uh, you've outlined some of that and the, the other words ending in O and an excellent piece for the spinoff, which people should have a read of. 
Um, Albanese had a bit of um, bit of COVID recently, but he's back on board and, and, and launched the campaign on the weekend, I think. Yes, that's right. So he got out of COVID isolation just in time to head to Perth, where they think they can win up, um, pick up some seats uh-huh. in Western Australia. Um, fairly stock standard uh, campaign stuff. It's always notable who goes to these things and who doesn't. Yep. Albo um, had a um, sat down with Kevin Rudd and Paul Keating, two Labor luminaries. Mm. Missing was Julia Gillard. Um, that would have been the that would have been the uh, the full set. Um, but um, to be honest, Gillard doesn't really dig back into politics, into Australian politics, the mm. work of us that mm. much. She sort of focused on bigger, broader things these days. So it wasn't too much for me. It also featured the disembodied voice of Russell Crowe, I believe. It is. I did. I did pick up a, a whisper. Of this he's providing the, the voiceovers. Yeah, he did the he did the the sort of the, you know a sort of slightly gladiator style you know the challenge that faces the Australian people type in a sort of slightly British Australian tenor. I mean, it, it was very moving. It's it's, it's I'm, I'm pleased to hear it. It's it's reasonably incongruous though with with Albanese, isn't it? He's sort of a mild mannered, almost a bureaucrat type these mm. days. Style. But I imagine they have a friendship because uh, Albanese says he has three faiths, uh, the Catholic Church, the Australian Labor Party, and the South Sydney Rabbitohs. And, right. of course, Rusty is uh, one of the owners or the owner of the South Sydney Rabbitohs. So yes. there's the friendship. The bunnies. Um, and mm. uh, so, so Albanese, this time round, seems to be, tell me if I'm wrong about this, seems to be running a more cautious campaign than Bill Shorten did three years ago when the then Labor leader looked for all money as though uh, a Labor government was going to be installed. Is it the case that this time around, Elbow and the rest of the Labor Party have been burnt by that experience and are running a more uh, centrist, moderate, don't scare the horses type campaign? Yes, I think that's right. Although I wouldn't necessarily say the policy platform has changed so much. It's just what they're spruiking. Ah. Back in back back last time around, well, I mean, the, the defining policy of last election was um, uh, tax breaks. I'm trying to I'm trying to compute this into non-Australian language with the negative <laughs> gearing and all that rubbish. Yeah. Basically, tax breaks for um, house homeowners, which mm. would allow easier paths into the into buying a home. And, of course, Morrison, the ruthless campaigner that he is, just picked it apart and, and you know, it, it became a tax on the House. Other parts of the platform was, was a death tax hmm. um, and, and combined that with a couple of regional um, factors um, added up to a very narrow Labor, Labor loss. Hmm. So it's not, as if, it's not as if they were swept away. I mean, this government currently has 76 seats of 151 seats. It's, it's very tight, mm. um, which does change things. But Albanese is nothing. He, uh, you wouldn't call him an inspiring leader, but he's certainly um, smart. So he spent the first part of this term going around to these um, nat- uh, regional places where Labor thinks they can pick up seats, selecting ex-mayors, liked people, mm. um, people that can do well. And he, he, he's promoted the fact that this election isn't, isn't a sprint and it's one in the fourth quarter, which is where we're at. Somewhat, you know, wasn't great that he made that big blooper in week one if he's uh, saying that it's all coming down to the last six weeks. But um, the polling is in the position now that, that, that Labor can be, I think, 
I think, more confidence. And the, the, the gaffe that you mentioned or the, 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 the brain fade was when he couldn't remember what the OCR was, what the, the official cash rate, I think that's right. And yesterday in Australia, that was and the, the big, unemployment rate. And the unemployment rate. The big story yesterday yep. in Australia, though, was an increase in interest rates for the first time in, in, in what seems like forever. I think it might have been even as long as 10 years that it's actually gone upwards from a very, very low point of 0.1, was it, or something like that? That's right. To, to, to yeah. by, by maybe a third of a point or something like that. And, yeah. and, and it's interesting because looking at it from here, the, the news is very similar but also different insofar as you have a government uh, being blamed by the opposition for a cost of living crisis, uh, struggle uh, for inflation and for uh, a rise in interest rates, which obviously hurts people in in the hip pocket, which is a constant of Australian election rhetoric. Um, The difference being that you've got the, in in the Australian case, you've got the centre-left party having a go at the centre-right group. Yes, that's right. That's right. I mean, I'm a, I'm a student of Kiwi politics. I've obviously lived Australian politics. Mm. Do you guys get into moaning much? Are you guys into moaning about moaning. the government? Is that a, yes. Because I feel like that's pretty much what's going on on both sides of the equation. Yeah. The, the, the difference being in Australia, like the economy is, is considered, as, as it would be here like, in New Zealand, I guess, the economy mm. is considered that the, the coalition, the Liberal Party's turf. Mm. So it, it, it's t- it's a tough sell for for Labor to suggest we'll be better economic managers. Mm. That's what's happening. The, the, as you say, you're right. Um, the, the same fact is happening in Australia as as New Zealand. Inflation is now over five percent. They're not quite the six point nine percent New Zealand. Interest rates have gone up from point one to point three five. So it's it's not biting, but it is the first rise in a decade. Mm. It's actually the first rate rise in a campaign. Um, since 2007, which was the last time, I don't know if you're into omens, it was the last time the coalition flipped mm. to Labor when mm. Kevin Rudd came from Queensland and said he was here to help. Mm. Um, and, and classically, it hasn't provided a bit of a, a campaign refresh because we had the inflation figures last week, the interest rate rise yesterday, and, and, and you know, on script, all of the papers have sort of put that classic sort of upset-looking couple, you know, heterosexual couple outside their house Maybe they're holding a baby, yeah, and they're yeah. worried about, and they're worried about interest rates. Yeah, yeah. The, exce- the exception to that was the West Australian, who had an old bloke in his stubby shorts, and the, <laughs> and and the, and that sort of lead-in headline was like, "I bought my house when it was seventeen percent interest rate," and, right. and, the, and the and the headline is, "You call that a rate hike?" <laughs> 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 Which is just sensational. But it does tell the story that you know they are from. Very emergency, you know, level setting. Yes. So it's not as if you know people are people are leveraged. They've certainly got mortgages, but it's not you know runaway interest rates. And, and you make the point that in some sense it suits Morrison and the coalition to have a conversation around the economy, doesn't it? Because much in the way that the National Party, no matter what happens here in New Zealand, the National Party here tends to be regarded by people as a sort of as a more prudent hand on the tiller. That's the territory on which Morrison thinks he's most likely to win, by saying you can't trust this lot at a tricky time, yeah? That is exactly right. That is exactly right. So, so that, that's, you, you've summarised Morrison's argument well. Um, I think I saw recently um, he, he was framing it as in, you might not like me very much. You might not like us very much. We don't get everything wrong. Huh. Sorry, we don't get everything right. Huh. But... Who do you trust with the economic recovery? So, and Labor is trying just a tweak on that, saying 
um, you know, obviously they can be trusted. They point to their, their experience in the GFC that happened under Rudd, um, and Australia was one of the few countries to avoid a recession. Yeah. Our, our miracle growth went for, along for two decades. But Albanese's argument is your wages aren't rising as fast as cost of living, which I think is an experience here as well. So they're saying, are things getting tougher? That's yeah. because for productivity, wages, we can fix that. Yeah, yeah. Hey, let's um, just briefly sidebar on, because we're talking about the coalition and we're talking about the Liberals and you're talking about different layers of elections happening. Let's do a have very... We, have we assumed some knowledge? Well, let's do, do a very quick... You, you covered this really well in your piece, which, again, I urge people to go and read on uh, the spin-off website. It also includes um, some quite graphic uh, cow-based metaphors, which people might enjoy. But when we talk about the coalition, what's, what, is, what, is, what, is that, what does that mean? Okay, so the coalition is a long-standing, I think it's up to 100 years of, of them coming together, mm. uh, agreement between the, the Liberals and the Nationals. Mm. Um, the Liberals are the sort of inner-city sort of Liberal Party of John Howard and the rest. The National are essentially their re- regional wing with a bit of, you know, um, agrarian socialism. Or, 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 uh, uh, no, I shouldn't say that, actually. Like, they're the centre-right party of the bush. Yeah. Um, but they're much more focused on... on Previously, farming issues and these days, mining issues, which is a major dimension in Australia. Mining is sort of code for the economy doing well, and it's the key to a lot of swing seats where we might sort of mine coal and whatnot. Um, Labor is obviously just the Labor Party. Um, They tend to govern by themselves, um, unlike New Zealand. Um, There is some suggestion they may have to govern coalition or or cobble together in a hung parliament here, but it's it's basically a Labor versus Liberal national uh, affair. With National as much the smaller uh, component part of the coalition, right? Yeah, I think they have maybe 15 seats of the, of the 76 in, in Canberra. And the way that the system works, it's, it's um, people who are older than, uh, I don't know, 30 will remember first past the post in New Zealand. It's, it, there, there isn't a strictly a proportional element, um, but there is... Uh, what was it called called, called um, uh, preferential voting in each of yeah. the seats? Can you explain that? I can. So the preferential element comes into it in the Senate. You know, that's that's where, you know, if, if 20% of the people vote for the Greens, they get roughly 20% of the Senate. Mm. In the House of Reps, that's the lower house and that's where government is formed and whoever gets 76 seats can form the government. Mm. So, And preferential voting, I've been trying my best to think of a very simple way to explain this. And it, and it basically means... Your vote will count, but it might not be the one you voted for. It'll trickle down to one of the two most popular options. So if that makes sense, and that's almost usually the Labor Party or one of the coalition candidates um, in all of those 151 um, elections. Mm. Um, the, Greens, the Greens are just polling. Uh, there was a poll out this week that had the Greens on 15%, which would obviously, in a proportional system like New Zealand, give them heaps of seats, like 25, yeah. but they in fact have won the seat of Melbourne because yeah. it's the only seat in the country that has enough left-wingers to, to get them over the line in that two-headed contest. I don't think I did a very good job of that. Well, but, but, but basically, on the, so on the, on the polling paper, you rank your preferences, yes? Yes, that's right, yes. Um, which some people will know from some local body elections, different parts of New Zealand, but let's not go down that track. You mentioned the Senate which I, uh, people are elected on six-year – it's a six-year term, right? So, so roughly half, That's slightly right. more than half of those are up for, up for election this time round? That's right, yes. 
That's right. And does that figure does that figure prominently in the, or or is that get lost a bit in the in the House election? Completely lost. Yep. Yeah, completely lost. It, it's government government's the main game. That's where everyone is focused on. Um, there can be interesting um, results um, things in the Senate, um, but like, and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, trading that goes on to get make sure your Senate place is high, so like a high list place. There's generally the top two from each party get elected, and the third places in you know you're unlikely unlikely to get a third person from each of the major parties elected. So if mm-hmm. anyone drops to position three, there's a there's a bin fight, and that that can be, generate headlines. But otherwise, no. And like I think, I think you know maybe maybe seven or eight of the last ten elections, um, there's always been a crossbench. So the Greens, the Democrats, some independent senators that hold the the the, the um, control of power, the balance of power. Mm. So it's mm. not it's very rare for, for the governments to have it all their own way as our James government does here in this, currently. And the last thing, uh, compulsory voting, uh, whereas in New Zealand the, you, you, you need to be on the electoral roll, but you're not required to vote. In Australia, you are. Yes, that's right. So every person, is, it's technically, it's technically worded here, it, it, not every person is required to vote. Everyone that's on the electoral roll is required to vote. And there's a big push to get, you know, 17, 18, 19-year-olds enrolled on the electoral roll. So mm. then that sort of gets you into the system. Mm. I don't know. I, I mean, I can see the argument either way. I mean, is it undemocratic to ask someone to vote? I mean, I don't know how rigorous the enforcement system is to get, you know, fine people if they don't vote. I think the fine was up to about 40 bucks last time I checked if you don't vote. And yeah. I don't know. Is it, are you gonna, I don't know if you're going to be locked away for that. So, well, the much, yeah, the, much, the, the, the much more important constitutional part of the encouragement to vote is the, the sausage sizzle, really, isn't it? That's an important tradition. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I was actually quite surprised because, New Zealand that allowed me to vote. I was very grateful to be able to vote um, in, in the 2020 election when I was. Yes, wouldn't be the same. Wouldn't be the same the other way around, would it? You have to be a citizen over there. I think. No, yeah. no, it certainly wouldn't be. And, and um, I was walking. I, I almost walked past the ballot box because there was a the, the polling place. Because there was nothing there. There was just one little wee sign saying "Come on in." Mm. And no fanfare. I tried to take a picture of myself doing the ballot, and I got tutted as well. Yeah. In Australia, it's a it's a it's a it's a fundraising opportunity for schools, there are schools and churches, and everyone puts on their cake stands. And yeah. There's often lines to vote, and kids will you know they can do entertainment and stuff. It's it's a big thing. It's a it's it's a it's a fun day. Yeah, it's nothing else than uh, your democracy sausage on the on the uh, on the sausage. More prosaically, we talked about the economy. What are the other issues that are that are that are in the foreground? I'm, I've seen some some you don't you don't normally see things like national security or climate change uh, being uh, front and centre, but both of those seem to have been around. Can you can you can you talk about those and anything else that's 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 proving a, a pinch point? Yeah, so the, the, I mean, the one thing that popped up as a bit of a you know a, event that's changed the, the, the narrative of the election would be the Solomon Islands deal with China mm. um, to provide security, which everyone then translates into um, the prospect of a of a Chinese security a military base on Australia's doorstep. Mm. Um, Solomon Islands is less than two thousand kilometres from Townsville in Queensland, um, which is seen as a, a Penny Wong had the killer right. It was Australia's worst foreign policy failing in the Pacific since World War Two, mm. and that's resonated a bit. It's, it's certainly an issue, and it goes to this broader issue of um, competence and engagement um, from the Morrison government on foreign affairs. Um, uh, they're, they're a big sort of uh, chest-beating government. They signed the AUKUS agreement to provide nuclear technology for submarines with 
the US and the UK turned their back on France, which they had a deal to, to, to buy some submarines from. This is big bickies in Australia. Mm. Um, but I have been thinking about, and obviously um, climate change is a massive issue. I think we might talk about the teal stuff yeah. um, if we have time after this. But, but I, I try, in trying to find the big issues, I really do think it's like almost everything goes by the wayside and it's just a referendum on Scott Morrison. Right. Because he's such a big figure and he's been like a figure of ridicule, a figure of hatred, um, but also such a strong figure during COVID at different times as well. Mm. In 2019, when he pulled off his miracle election and went all the polls that he wouldn't, he didn't really have a record. He'd been in for less than a year. And now he's running on a record. And people were sort of only just tuning into him, finding out about him as prime minister when he was elected. Mm. And and the first, I mean, the, the iconic moment of his prime ministership, um, unless he gets elected again and goes on to do something else, will be when he went to Hawaii for um, during a, uh, for a holiday during a time of big bushfires in Australia. And then he came back and retorted that he didn't hold a hose. There's horrible pictures of him going to uh, bushfire-affected places um, and like trying to shake, they're forcibly shaking people's hands and they didn't want him to do that. Mm. And that sort of manifested at different times the idea that he's been, you know, asleep on the job or, or not not a man of the people. who showed a lack of empathy during alleged rape and, and sexual assault allegations at Parliament, um, you know, slow with relief during the floods. And, and the COVID handling has been really up and down. He got a big bump um, when they closed the borders, the sort of, Keeps everyone safe stuff that obviously powered Arden to her 2020 victory. Mm. But in Australia, it wasn't so simple. He had to negotiate with states and do other things. And he was responsible for um, a couple of things, or the federal government was responsible for a couple of things, quarantine um, and aged care and, 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 and vaccine procurement. And all three sort of were three of Australia's poorest, uh, performed poorly on those levels. He said that getting vaccine wasn't a race, you know, like, record scratch freeze frame it, it was <laughs> mm. and, and and unfortunately Australia's big big death toll a lot of that has come in in, in um, aged care facilities and, and the most recent one was at Christmas last year when we when Australia brought in the sort of compulsory rat testing but we didn't Australia didn't have enough rats so it actually ruined Christmas for a lot of people I mean you couldn't make up a more sort of toxic sort of environment for a politician you had people either getting COVID because they're going to Christmas from their families or not being able to go to Christmas events because they had COVID or couldn't test to show that they did or didn't. It was it, it was an absolute mess. But despite all that, he is an incredible campaigner. To watch one of his press conferences, to watch someone in, in full flight, he, he can bat away so many questions, he can change the debate, um, which gives him a chance. You know, he, mm. has, he, has, he has a puncher's chance. Mm. Are there debates? Are there televised debates? There has been one. Mm. Sky News. Um, did, a, did a debate earlier. Um, they're the sort of uh, um, you know a pay TV channel that not many people actually see, but everyone sort of picks up the, yeah. the, the bigger points of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I think right. only two. I think I think only two hundred thousand people watched the watched the debate, which is a bit unfortunate. And that was a sort of uh, politics in the pub style event where they took uh, questions from punters. Mm. I mean, you were undecided voters, and it came out narrowly. I think of the hundred people, it was forty to 35, said Albanese won. There is going to be, Toby, there is going to be another debate. It's this weekend, it's on Channel 9, a free-to-air broadcaster. Mm. Um, and it's quite funny, if you follow um, the ABC, which is our um, public broadcaster, um, they're always saying we have invited 
Scott Morrison, or we've, we've invited them to have a debate. Right. And, you know, we'd like right. to have more interviews. And they're so clearly scorned because they're getting a lot of no's. Yeah. <laughs> they're getting a lot of rejections, which is bad for democracy. I mean, there should be debates, right? It, 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 it's a great way of testing each other. But there's got to be one on, on, on this weekend. And, and, and I'd probably bet it would probably be the last one. You talk about about Sky News, which is in a way, it's a bit, sort of a bit like the Twitter and, and of, of, of television. And as you say, like almost nobody watches it, but the rest of the media talk about it all the time, <laughs> especially yeah. the, the left-leaning media. And uh, uh, the coalition spurning the ABC, the, the national broadcaster, and and the, the Murdoch media obviously is, is really strong in Australia. And that seeps through, I don't know which, whether it's chicken or the egg, to the political culture generally. What are your, coming coming from, from New Zealand, where you're, in the press gallery, so you get a particular sort of front seat view of it, almost literally, um, which may be distorted in its own way. But then going back to Australia and flicking on and watching the coverage there, how would you characterise that difference? It feels to me more when I when I check in with Australian uh, politics and media, it seems to me more pugilist, more more kind of uh, a, more of a leap to a grunt and absolute kind of. Um, shirt front level castigation. Is that fair? Yeah, that's absolutely fair. It's a really hostile environment um, politically. I mean, it's one of the reasons that this reckoning um, Australian political culture and the Canberra bubble has had with its relationship to women has had such resonance and there's been such mm-hmm. awful stories come out. It's, just, it's a brutal place to work, Canberra. Um, politics has played at you know, 60 miles an hour. And, and it's also hostile to be a journalist. One of the reasons I love reporting in Wellington um, is it's a really kind and, and like, ideas-driven landscape. I mean, I, I'm, I'm probably a bit idealist, you know. I'm probably a bit optimistic and stuff. But if we look at, look at um, last, last week, I mean, David Parker came out with a, with a tax speech. It was a very dry 60-minute speech about prospects and tax and how they wanted to find ways to, you know, explore and tax setting. And, 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 and data. And data, yes, it was so dry. But it became one of the biggest issues in New Zealand for the last uh, the last week. And, and it started a conversation about tax and about a wealth tax. And all these things. It, it, you know, it was, a, it was a genuine sort of policy affair. And as I understand it, Arden's now ruled that out. But it was a, you know, a contest of ideas there for a bit. I think Chloe and David Seymour went on One News this morning and had a bit of a debate about this. You know, that, that, it, that sort of stuff just doesn't happen in, in Australia. It's not, it, it, it's like, it's like Australians and Australian politicians don't realise they have the power to change Australia or tweak Australia or, or make things fairer or better or however they, they want to do it. It's sort mm. of just a, a business as she as she goes, you know, steady on the hand, sort of sort of an affair. But the Murdoch and the Murdoch media has has a big is a big part of it. But also, and I think this is understated, the power of the mining lobby in Australia. Mm. I mean, the last time. Australian tried to genuinely fiddle with its tax settings as opposed to just change brackets or give some tax cuts. It was during Kevin Rudd's government when they tried to tax mining super profits or tried to bring in a, in a so-called carbon tax, as it was described, ad nauseum by, by the coalition. Hmm. And they were just, and they were basically destroyed. You know, people with any sort of um, mining um, constituency were, were lobbied to. It, it's been the, uh, I mean, Scott Morrison brought a piece of coal into Parliament to show yeah. his bona fides with the with the, yeah. with the mining industry. It's 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 just a, yeah. 
we're best of friends apparently, but I just think we could be any different when it comes to that. So the influence of the, the mining lobby obviously joined the dots pretty quickly to what is uh, often criticised as a lack of action on climate change, a lack of refusal to take it seriously over successive governments. You mentioned also uh, women and the culture and a range of other issues around um, women in Australia, whether it's uh, childcare, pay equity and so on. Those two issues, climate and women, are the centrepiece of... A, a new what's been called the teal wave. You touched on it earlier, but there are a group of uh, teal independents, as they've been described, many of whom literally using the colours teal, and those colours are obviously a mixture of the blue of the right and the green of the climate environmental approach. And the, the, these candidates, can you explain how it works? It's not a party, but they're getting support from a, from a bankroller, um, but they're becoming, they've sort of, becoming a real force, a real possibility of making a difference in in the election coming yeah. up. Yep. Yes. So I, I think possibility is the key word here. There uh-huh. has been some scattergun polling that suggests they're in the race, but we don't we just don't know. It's sort of this is this is new in Australian politics. Hmm. Um, and it really it, it speaks to a failure by both Labour part uh, both the major parties to deal with climate change and give Australians the climate change policy they want. And if you go back to two, uh, brief sidebar, if you go back to 2007, the last time Labor won office from the coalition, mm-hmm. people remember that as the work choices election. John Howard, who had governed for 11 years, proposed a remaking of the IR industrial relations system to give employers um, more, it was a union busting um, affair. Mm-hmm. And, and it was remembered as the work choices election and, and the Labor power, Party, powered by the union movement, you know, celebrated this great win over um, over business or over, over the Liberals. But actually what the Australian electoral study showed was that climate change was the number one issue. I mean, Kevin Rudd came in promising to sign the Kyoto Protocol, which Australia hadn't done to its great shame. You know, you might remember the, An Inconvenient Truth, that Al Gore movie. It was Australia's number one issue. Mm. And, and since then, Australia just hasn't gotten on board um, and hasn't taken the sort of steps. Like we don't have an emission training scheme like, like, like New Zealand does. Like the very simple, you know, easy thing. And, and business actually wants it. They want the climate change settings to plan for the future. They know a shift to renewables uh, and the rest of it needs to happen. So out of this frustration comes the, the, the teal independence. Now, I'm, I'm probably going to get this wrong, <laughs> but um, Simon Holmes, of course, is, is the entrepreneur that's sort of backing them mm. or at least uh, organising um, this, this movement. And they've basically said that they will give money or support to um, candidates that are, have this mission, um, that are non-party aligned. Mm. And, and that's led to, and, and most of all, they're targeting, I'm not even sure it's targeting, it's just an organic movement in particular seats, depends on how cynical you are. Um, people that, uh, uh, sorry, winnable seats in um, against the coalition. Mm. So, um, and that manifests in Kuyong against, which is, um, the, the east of Melbourne, affluent part of Melbourne, against the treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, mm. um, um, and in Sydney, in the seat of Wentworth, um, a woman named Allegra Spender is taking on um, the, 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 in Malcolm Turnbull's old seat, the smallest and richest seat in Australia, um, and North Sydney against another sort of moderate liberal. And they're, they're genuinely in with a chance. It's people power, it's, you know, enthusiasm, it's kick the old mob out. Um, yeah, I mean, we're going to see how we go in a couple of weeks' time. They're all wealthy, 
metropolitan blue seats, aren't they? The Labor doesn't even figure in this conversation, which is fascinating in its own way. They're targeting yeah. directly yep. the Liberal incumbents, almost all women, I think. And yes. and look, you're right. I mean, it's it's it's. We don't want to be premature about this. It could be that one, maybe two, get in a, a wave, maybe overstating it. But it's, would it be fair to say that the probably the best case scenario for Morrison and the coalition, if you look at the polls now, would be a minority government, and Australia's had minority governments before, and Gillard's was the last one perhaps. Um, but in that sort of situation, you have the crossbench, and if you have on that crossbench uh, a group of teal independents, they have quite a lot of muscle in that arrangement. Oh, totally, totally. In 2010, when there was negotiation, with, it turned out to be three independents that had the, had the, the final say. Mm. They took a week and they, they had drew up a lot of plans and it was a 17-minute speech that came down. It was, it was the biggest thing Australia's ever seen. Of course, New Zealand goes through this almost every three years when you have the yeah. negotiations, yeah, yeah. the coalition negotiations. But they would have a lot – the, 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 sorry, the Teal independents would have a huge amount of power and, and that's part of the allure as a voter. It's like, if, if climate change is an issue for me, I can make it the centre of, of the next government's agenda by voting for this mob and, and, and at the same time registering a bit of a protest vote. I mean, it also speaks to disillusionment in the major parties. So back in 2007, 86% of Australians voted for a major party in the, in the lower house. That's down to 75%. Mm. So now one in four people are looking, looking around. And it does give rise to... It makes it harder for the for the major parties to get to seventy six to, to to get to to majority government. Mm. So, and, and when you said before, like it, it, you know, in the best case scenario, I mean, I personally I find it really hard to see Scott Morrison winning another majority, but you just can't rule it out given his, his campaign skill and what else. But go on, I think I think I've jumped to the conclusion a little bit. Early, well, go on then. Let's 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 put it on you, Ben Mackay. What is the um, definitive prediction? The official definitive. Ben Mackay prediction of what is going to happen on May 21. I think that politics and government will be the winner, Toby. Oh, no, I think, I think that, um, I think that uh, it is very hard to see the Liberals getting a majority. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the, elect, the mass of it, the Labor needs to flip, I think it is, five seats to become the biggest party in Parliament mm. and needs to win eight, flip eight seats to become a majority. Mm. I think that's within reach. If you look at all the different um, polls in different states, um, there's a couple in Tasmania that might flip. There's two or three in Perth that should be easy enough, one in Adelaide, one in um, Victoria, and, and one in Queensland. But that sort of doesn't tell the story. The overall polls show a landslide to Labor. And when that sort of happens, you know, unexpected seats flip as well. And mm. they might get closer to, might get something in the, in the 80s. But I mean, just like last time, I mean, the Labor leader is largely uninspiring, and and people might have that switched around like, with that Morrison has suggested. You know, like why would you why would you take the risk? It doesn't matter that they've had three different prime ministers in nine years, and sort of the reform agenda is sort of flailing, and the leader that you know wasn't there during major parts of Australia's you know tumult over the last few years. Maybe they don't want another tumult. Mm. It, it is a really difficult thing. To to to, um, to 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 predict. I mean, in 2020, when 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 Ardern was um, on track, the sort of national vote is the only thing that matters, and everyone knew that it was going to happen for weeks out. But just because of the, the very regional nature, um, it, it, it is hard to call. 
Yeah, and, 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 and Morrison's strategy also makes it a bit difficult as well because through this um, awful Catherine Deves candidacy, who's, a, who's a, um, a person who's made some pretty outrageous comments about um, trans people and gay surrogacy, mm. Morrison is sort of dog-whistling to the right in, in the hope of building a coalition around suburban seats and regional seats that that might cost him the inner city seats, and that's a very narrow pathway that he might have decided that's his way to victory. It is, look, it, it is, it's, it's, it, it can be both uninspiring, awful, but fascinating. Has anybody uh, sculled any schooners yet or chomped directly through a raw onion or any of the other kind of... Any budgie smugglers? I'm kind of looking for where is the – I haven't seen a lot of that. There have been the, a few gaffes. There have been a few good lines. Um, there's been sort of a fair, fair amount of mudslinging. But have we seen any budgie smugglers, any uh, any um, conspicuous alcohol consumption? Um, any... Mate, the, the, the well is dry. The tap it has run out. Oh, this you time. Know, even – yeah, it's, it's, it's hopeless. I have faith. I have faith in our Australian – our Australian siblings to come up with something in the days to come. Does my spin-off budget um, include while I'm in Australia, you know, getting amongst and sort of muck raising and sort of creating that sort of environment? Oh, oh yeah, I think I think clicks? I think you should go and grab some wombats and um, take them to a political debate and see what happens. I'm willing to do it for the spin-off. Thank you, Ben. It's been very illuminating and good to catch up. Enjoy your uh, Tasmanian sojourn and the rest of your time in Australia. We'll see you back here soon. Thanks, mate. Really enjoyed it. Thanks again to Ben Mackay for getting up early in his Tasmanian idyll and giving us his time and insights. Thanks to producer Diahead Butler, to the spin-off podcast network czar Jane Yee, and to you for listening all the way to the end. Kakitiano. Kia ora e te iwi. Diahead Butler here, podcast manager at the spin-off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.